Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. This is the Relunchables Podcast. I'm Jordan Holzer, proudly part of the Believe Podcast Network. In each episode, we'll be covering 90s, 2000s, film, TV, and pop culture. I am not alone. Each episode, I'll be having on special guests to help me relive my childhood. Thank you to Weedis for the intro music. This is episode 57, Aaron Schwartz. You would definitely know Aaron from his iconic roles as a kid from playing Jerry in Heavyweights and Carp in The Mighty Ducks. We get into all of it with him, working alongside Ben Stiller, really going all out in the audition process, and even what he's up to now, he's currently working on a documentary highlighting child actors in the business growing up and what that that could do. You know, we've seen so many guests come on our podcast and and really talk about this, and even his co-star, Sean Weiss, who played Goldberg, it's really been, you know, in the media and in the press about his struggles with with drug addiction and alcohol and everything, and, you know, he seems to be on the road to recovery, and, you know, we get into all that with Aaron on the podcast. He's also had a very serious glow-up from when he was a kid. If you have not seen Aaron Schwartz since he was in the Mighty Ducks and Heavyweights, you wouldn't recognize him. And we also get into, you know, taking the Tony Perkis method to, to heart and really, uh, you know, slimming out. So let's get right into my interview with actor Aaron Schwartz. Next week, we're really going to keep going on this Mighty Ducks craze here in anticipation of the series coming March 26th. So we're going to be covering D2. Yeah, this is the first sequel we're covering here on the podcast. So hopefully it goes well. We got a new guest coming on for that one. And then ultimately, we're going to cover D3. So if you can't get enough Mighty Ducks, we're here for you. If you're not a huge fan, I don't know what to tell you. Let's get right into my interview with Aaron Schwartz. I I should have done research on (laughs) how uh, how much work goes into raising a puppy properly. Yeah, and she still doesn't have. She's still going through all her shots, so she has like another two weeks where she can't really go outside. Even though I like I take her on walks and stuff, but um, yeah, it's exhausting, man. It's exhausting. And then on top of that, there's like. some podcasts that I'm doing and then auditions are coming out of nowhere. And then like you, we need it for the next day. And I'm like, how, how am I supposed to like self tape? Who am I going to call? You know? So it's, yeah, it's been a little hectic, but uh, Hey, grateful to have a beautiful puppy and to be auditioning still. Yeah. No, thank you so much for doing this. Was this, uh, was this puppy a a COVID purchase? Was this just something you were bored and just looking for something to fill your time? What was the, uh, what was the impetus for getting a puppy? Kind of, I, I guess it was, I mean, um, my journey, I had like a journey out to like Texas to, uh, you know, kind of like a self-reflective journey slash I was doing kind of it, a little bit of it for my documentary. Um, and then out there, I have a friend in Kansas who said, oh, you're in Texas. You're not far away from me. I know you're driving. If you want to drive up here, um, you know, and come see some, I own, she owns a pet, pet land and she's a good friend of mine. And I'm like, hell yeah. And then uh, I was like, I think maybe I'll uh, get a puppy if I see, you know, and right, right away, this golden retriever puppy came out and I was like, done. <laughs> it's done. very cute, by the way. Very cute. All over Instagram. It's really tough not oh, yeah. to uh, fall in love with that puppy. 
Uh, yeah, I can't help myself. I created an Instagram <laughs> account for her. I'm one of those people. I've become one of those people. But yes, so I'm sorry about like rescheduling a bunch and all that stuff. But yeah. Oh, yeah. No worries at all. I kind of want to get started right into it and just asking you. Sure. So you're from New York. Is that right? Yes, sir. What Born part of New York? York? I'm from uh, Westchester County. So I'm just curious if you're from the city or suburbs or, you know, what part city. of New York? Oh, the city. Uh, New York City, Upper West Side, like, um, uh, what are they? Morningside Heights, I guess they call okay. it. Okay. Near Columbia. Um, yeah. Born and raised. Born, born in the apartment that my mother still lives in. Wow. Wow. It's yeah. rare to find people that are actually from New York City. It's like one of those things where if someone says they're from Chicago, from New York, they're not actually from New York or Chicago. They're from the suburbs or whatever, but you're actually from the city, yeah. which, is, which is really cool. Yeah. Born and raised. Where in Westchester are you from? I'm from Scarsdale, uh, okay. which is where all, all the Jewish kids live. <laughs> all right. Okay. I went out with a girl from, uh, uh, from Scarsdale. Oh, really? And, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I used to um, Haverford Street. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. Scarsdale, man. That's the place to grow up. Let's <laughs> grow up. Hey, can I borrow 20 bucks? No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was definitely a, a very privileged uh, childhood in uh, the rough next to Scarsdale, you know, trying to get to and from the, the synagogue and, you know, in the, in the golf, oh, yeah. in the driving range, you know, it's really tough. There's a lot of, like, you know, rough housing going on between <laughs> there, a lot of roughnecks. Um, actually it's, some some places in Scarsdale are are um, you know they can get a little uh, touch and go. It's yeah. it's not all it's not all rich uh, families. Yeah. No, very true. Very true. I grew up in yeah. a very typical uh, middle class family. So I kind of want to get want to get into it and just how did you get started acting? Was it something that your parents just kind of enrolled you in some acting classes? Did you find it as part of a school program? Where did this passion and, and really love for acting begin? Yeah, I don't know exactly. How it happened? I'm sorry, I have allergies, and I'm just like, um, yeah, probably for my dog. I probably gave myself <laughs> out. Um, you know, I honestly, I was the one who my mother never forced upon me. My brother was one time noticed in the streets um, by somebody who said that he would be perfect for a role in a play. Ended up putting him on a very big off-Broadway play. Had like two lines for some Russian kid. And then I remember seeing him in that play and then news coming to my school when I was in like kindergarten. And I don't know what it was, but I was like, I, I wanted to perform. I was always performing when I was a little kid. Me and my friend Devin used to like do the three amigos and do it like by heart, the whole like, you know, <laughs> you know, do all that stuff. And so I just loved performing. And I, by the time I was six, I was like, I'm going to be a movie star. That's what I was saying. I was like, I'm going to be a movie star. I want to be in movies. Um, and my mom was like, are you sure you want to, you know, like, I don't know if you had anything about that, but like my mom, God bless her. She was like, whatever you want to do, you can do, you know? And so, yeah, just started auditioning. Um, and then I saw, uh, Anthony LaPaglia and, um, and Michael Keaton filming one good cop around the corner from uh, my Upper West Side apartment. And uh, I asked them how to do what they're doing. You know, first I was like, Batman, so cool. And then I was like, how do I become Batman? Yeah. How do I do this, you know? And so uh, Anthony LaPaglia, God bless that guy. He, uh, you know, wrote out a list for me. Literally really? wrote out a list. And I, I, um, I did everything on that list and got into the business. 
you know, I, I made sure I, you know, got the backstage and did all that stuff. So yeah, it wasn't your typical child actor who just decided to, you know, their parents were like, let me live this through you. And it was a little different, my journey. Yeah. So I guess the first thing was, was the Mighty Ducks, right? And we just had Stephen Brill on who couldn't speak more highly of you, by the way. And he said he's definitely getting you in the, uh, the spinoff Mighty Ducks series on Disney Plus at some point. I don't know that might already be. Yeah. Um, yes. Brill. I love Brill. Brill's a, Brill's a sweetheart. Uh, genius. He came up in Brill and Jordan Kerner. Their combination is what made, you know, Brill, of course, the brains behind the Ducks wrote all that. And then Jordan Kerner. The producer kind of they 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 came together and they made this magic happen honestly um yeah both of them are incredible and brill yeah i mean i'd love to be in it you know i i know that it was uh the the first season they almost finished the first season and i think they finished it and they're trying to get cameos throughout season one and season two if it gets picked up and so they're trying to do all those things so hey man i would love i'm happy that it's even out i don't really care yeah. about being in it or not being in it there's some TMZ. This is one thing. There's some TMZ thing. You know, this is, I have like problems. I think TMZ, you know, there's a place for them, but they did this whole big uh, expose, like former duck wants to be in spinoff, you know? And they asked me if I wanted to be in the spinoff and I was like, sure, I'd love to be in the spinoff, but it's not, you know, it's not dire if I'm in it, if, if it doesn't work for it, I want, I want the spinoff to work. You know, you need little kids in it. You need it. And they turned it into this whole thing. And I was like, oh, my God. Well, that's what TMZ does, right? That's how they get paid. They need clicks and eyeballs, you know? Yeah. So, of course, yeah. they're not going to be factually accurate and take into account context and everything. So, yeah. not surprising. Not surprising. Yeah. It's actually a big part of uh, in the documentary I'm doing is about child actors. And it's a big part of it is, um, you know, the narrative that media plays. And ha and if their role, the, the role that media plays, does it, you know, inhibit uh, a, a child's growth in their own personal life. I mean, I know it inhibits adults' growth in their own personal life. I know people are going through a lot of stuff because of TMZ and because of, you know, other tabloid television. But at the same time, there's a there's a need for it. The people watch it, you know, they they're getting a lot of advertising money, so it's like, you know, you can't really poo-poo on them too much because they're just doing what everybody wants to see. So it's a touchy subject. So it's definitely something I want to, uh, I want to dive into. I definitely want to talk to them again and, and get them in my documentary. Oh yeah, that whole culture, especially in the '90s and early 2000s. I don't know if you watched that Britney Spears documentary that was on Hulu, and you know, Showbiz Kids. Yeah. You know, the recent you know HBO doc all about kind of what you're trying to tackle in your documentary. It really created a really tough culture. Oh man, so Showbiz Kids is interesting. Alex Winter made. Yeah, uh, HBO was behind it. And so I started this literally, I didn't sign on to any network. I just started, I'm just like, you know, done in it, you know, get, when I get the money, I, I take the money and I use it for whatever we're doing. And we're guerrilla style pretty much, especially during COVID. Now it's real guerrilla style. It's yeah. kind of been put on hold, but um, yeah. So I saw them, they started me at the same time. I started making that and I told my business partner, I was like, oh no, <laughs> they're making a documentary, HBO's behind it. Like it's gonna take us an extra year to make ours because we don't have that kind of, that cash and that pull. You know, I can't bring in certain people because I don't have a network behind me. It's all through relationships. But then I realized the whole beauty of 
documentaries, the fact that it's like my journey through yeah. the business and through what I've been dealing with. And then kind of like looking at it from my point of view. And Alex Winter didn't really do that in that. It was more of a, just a basic documentary that he was behind. So, uh, I mean, kudos to him for coming up with that and doing that. I saw it and I think it's a great documentary, but they definitely don't dive into the, what's behind the, what's really behind the, you know, the curtain, you know, and I'm, I'm going to like go into, there's going to be things that I'm not going to want to get out about me. And then I'm going to, you know, let it out just so people can kind of see the truth. You know, it's, it's a passion project of mine. It's not a money project. It's a passion project. Yeah. And I, I would agree with you. I think the documentary that came out was great, but it was very surface level. I don't think, you know, yeah. it's obviously tough to get people to talk about these types of things, obviously. And, oh. you know, I, I think probably so from your tough. standpoint, it's, it's got to be at least a little bit of like a stamp of approval. If you know that HBO created, like, you know, you have something, right. You know, that there is a story here and you know that everyone has a different story to tell. And, you know, depending on how, you know, different people, because this is such a hot topic right now. We see with, you know, Shia LaBeouf and, and, and Honey Boy that came out a few years ago. And this oh, yeah. is just something that you hear from actors all the time where they constantly say, you almost got to protect kids from themselves. And maybe we shouldn't have children acting at that type of age when, you know, they're not fully developed. That's a, uh, that's, that's, you know, that's a, it's something that I was arguing against because of course I was a child actor and I, you know, I think I've turned out pretty well. I'm enjoying my life. You know, I'm not, I might not be an A-lister, but I'm, I'm acting and I'm pursuing it and I'm enjoying the journey. Um, but that being said, there's a lot of truth to that. There's a lot of truth to the, uh, can we, should we allow a child under the age of 18 while they're still a child, should we allow them the possibility of fame? That's a big one. You know, like yeah. fame is such a four letter word, man. You know, it's like, it's a beautiful idea and, and everybody wants a taste of it because we all want that attention. You know, yeah. when, you come down, when it comes down to it, fame equals attention. Everybody wants attention. Even the people that say they don't, you know, we're, we're humans. It's innate in us that we want somebody else to appreciate, understand, listen, hear, you know? And I think when it comes down to it, it, it's not what we all want it to be. It's not what we all see it to be. It ends up becoming um, an albatross for everybody who becomes famous. And, you know, here I am, I mean, kind of hypocritically saying that because I'm still pursuing something that could inevitably get me to a higher level of fame. And then, you know, I can't walk down the streets. Um, but that being said, it, it's, it's par for the course. And um, it shouldn't necessarily be par for the course for somebody under 18. Or should it? You know, it's, yeah. it's, a, it's, a, it's a loaded question. I talked to Corey Feldman. That's a big one. I talked to him about that. And he completely disagrees with anybody any child being in you know anything that could feasibly get them famous but then how do you still tell a story with no yeah with no kids you're gonna have 20 year olds playing 10 year olds like how you know that then it comes to the art of storytelling you know so does there regulation behind it and is sag going to regulate sag can't even regulate pedophiles being in you know uh, on set with with children yeah they're still le legally allowed to and like i hate to talk 
crap about a union that, you know, supports me. But I mean, you know, there's got to be, it's a lot of stuff. It's loaded and it, it's, I'm pulling it into like a really dark territory, but there's a lot of amazing stuff as well. And, and you know, there was n- no better moment in my life than when I booked The Mighty Ducks, literally. I was 10 years old pursuing this for four years, already pursuing it for four years. Think about that. And then I'm like, whoa, I did it. I you know it's the most incredible feeling in the world. So I to deprive a child that as well. I mean, it's yeah, I'm still I'm still looking around and finding whether it's something that, you know, whether it's detrimental to a child or whether it's not. I think there's a lot of honestly, I think there's a lot of moving parts to it. And I, I think yeah. we all have to kind of, you know, it depends on the parents, depends on there's so many factors. So, you know, part of the documentary. Yeah, look, we could spend an entire hour just talking about this subject. Yeah. There's so much yeah. to it. Um, yeah. I do want to get into, though, just that moment when you booked The Mighty Ducks. I want to kind of get into the audition process a little, too, for that. But just that sure. moment, did you know in that singular moment that your life had been changed or no? No. You know, I'm trying to think back. I was, I was 10 years old. Um, 30 years ago, 30 years ago, it's wild. Um, you know, I knew the feeling of elation. I can remember that, how elated I was and how I booked a movie. I'm going to be in a movie, but I didn't know that. I didn't know exactly. I didn't understand the, the gravity of the situation. I think at that age, I just knew I was in a movie until I was on set. I think when I was on set, I was like, oh, whoa, like this is happening. And Emilio Estevez ended up, we didn't even know who the lead was going to be yet. The lead wasn't finalized until we were, we were doing, we were an ice skating camp for a, a month because we all lied and said that we knew how to ice skate. Then we show up yeah. and we're like falling on our butts. So they ended up, Jack White, who is the guy who did the cartoon on the, on the jersey, He's also an avid hockey player. Uh, I think he was in minors or I don't remember exactly what it was, but he's phenomenal. And he played the coach in the movie, you know, district nine, district five, you know, that guy. Yeah. Yeah. He's great. I still chat with him on Facebook sometimes. He's wonderful. Um, He taught us and he has kind of like a, a drill sergeant mentality. The one he's teaching hockey. Like he's like, stop being a bunch of Hollywood babies, you know, with it. And we would do eight hours a day of, uh, off and on, eight hours a day of, of ice skating practice and drills. And oh we God. learned very quickly how to make it look like we knew what we were doing. Yeah, it was pretty phenomenal. What was the audition? Yeah, did I answer the question? No, 100%. Yeah, no. I'm just curious. What was the audition process like? Were you just reading sides? Was it like more of like a nationwide search that they were looking for a group of kids? Did you know that you were reading for CARP or, you know, what kind of, what was the process like in terms of getting cast? I think I was reading for somebody else at the time. I don't think I was reading for CARP. I think I was reading for, I can't remember who I was reading for, but um, yeah. So CARP ended up, CARP is, I think Steve Brill's a, a real life friend is named CARP. And I was talking on another podcast, I was talking about this. And I remember when I watched it, like not too long ago, I hadn't watched it in a while. And I watched it at some screener and I was like, I'm in 
a lot of the scenes like next to Emilio, I'm the first one you see in the movie. Yeah. And, and I feel like he kind of did an homage. He used my character as an homage to his good friend and then put me in heavyweight. So like, at first I was like, I'm not really in a lot of this. And then I'm like, a lot of it, you know, I, I, I look at line much during so it was interesting the whole character of carp i auditioned for something else and i don't think i was i i don't remember the lines yeah i did read lines and i and i completely forgot half them i remember that and i remember coming out of there thinking i didn't get it as a 10 year old going oh didn't get that role you know and um callback after callback after callback I, I like after the third callback, I was like, I think I'm going to get this, you know? And I remember getting the phone call, my mom, you know, getting the phone call on our landline back then <laughs> and jumping on the bed in elation, just like realizing that I booked a feature film. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I think I remember I, went, I said, like, I did it. <laughs> I finally did it. Like I booked a movie. So it was, yeah, it was, it was fun. What do you remember about working with, you know, the entire group of kids, you know, Joshua Jackson, Sean Weiss, everyone, like, was it one big happy family? Was there little cliques that kind of formed on set? You know, what was the atmosphere like? There were definitely cliques, uh, you know, some were older than others. So the ones who were older definitely hung out with each other. And the ones who were a little younger hung out with each other, just like in any school or anything. Um, but it was like a huge family. We really were. Um, there was, you know, the moment at the end in the diner, not the end, near the end, when, when Emilio is talking to Josh Jackson and there, uh, and he starts crying. Josh went into that scene that he had to like stop crying before he even started that scene. <laughs> and they, and the reason is because they chose to, that was Josh Jackson's, uh, rapping scene. After he finished that scene, he was done for the movie. And we spent so much time together. You know, you hear about movies spending, they, they maybe take a month and a half, two months, maybe sometimes. This thing almost took five months. Wow. And we were all in Minnesota and we were all, you know, very friendly. We'd go out and we learned. It was like we became a team almost, actually a team. And so I think the writing behind it really gave us that narrative of, you know, being a team and we ended up becoming kind of like a team and a family. And so, yeah, the, the rap party, people were sobbing, sobbing, like crying. Like it was, you know, it was, it's sad, especially a lot of us, it was our first movie. Yeah. So, you know, that vacation depression that hits, you know, <laughs> when you are on a vacation and you got to go back to real life, that happens in real life for every actor. You know, it was on an escalated scale for a child actor but for every actor it's it's a it's a moment where you're just uh you know well for for the movies that you enjoy doing there are some nightmares that i hear about but yeah you know it it was tough it was it was it was tough because we were so close because we were a family and we all still feel like a family we all keep in touch and it's it's remarkable i gotta thank jordan kerner for sure for making it that way. He really turned it into a family. And that's what it seems like whenever you guys go on the road or, you know, do you go to ducks games or do signings or whatever it may be, it seems like you pick up right where you left off. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're, a lot of us are still in contact with each other 
Sean Weiss, I'm, I'm, you know, he's God bless him. He's doing much he better seems now. Sober. Yeah. He seems sober, like he's on the right better. track. I'm really proud and really happy. Um, he was supposed to come over today and, uh, and uh, play oh, with my, my dog, play with Sammy. Um, but he's going to come by tomorrow probably. And he's going to play with Sammy and yeah, he's doing great. Um, and I'm in contact with everybody. It's, it's wild. You know, it's, you know, a, a few here and there that, you know, Josh Jackson's not the easiest person to, to stay in contact with. He's an A-list, so. <laughs> but I didn't see him at a party one time and he gave me a huge hug and, you know, there's, and, but you know, most, most everybody that was in the movie, I'm pretty much in contact with. Yeah. Wow. Hold on, Aaron. Give me a minute to tell my listeners about our newest sponsor here at the Believe Podcast Network, eBay. Whether rare dead stock or the latest release, find the exact shoes you're looking for. As the original sneaker marketplace, eBay is the place to go to cop the pair you've been eyeing. With eBay's authenticity guarantee, your sneakers are meticulously inspected by independent professional authenticators. They verify the box, the logo, the stitching, and dozens of other inspection points. And for sneaker sellers out there, eBay has eliminated selling fees on sneakers $100 or more, making it free to sell or flip your collection. My listeners, go ahead to ebay.com sneakers today. eBay, the world's best destination for discovering great value and unique selection. And now, back to the show. So I'm so curious about the time. So you've, you, know, you finished the shoot, maybe you go back to school and... Is it like a weird feeling because you know that you just shot this movie and, and maybe you're doing other things, obviously get into Pete and Pete and start doing and acting on other shows. But is it a strange feeling before the movie comes out? Like, you know, the kids around me in school, they don't really know what's coming. And then do you see a difference once the Mighty Ducks came out? It was a huge yes. success, obviously on home video. Was there a difference in terms of how kids reacted to you at school? Because I imagine some kids at that age just don't know how to handle you know, some kids are jealous. Some kids want to, you know, be your best friend. Some kids want to, you know, intimidate you because of it. You know, what was that response like? Yeah, it's interesting. So when I booked the Mighty Ducks, right after I decided to go to a, a school called Professional Children's School, um, this was before the Mighty Ducks even came out. I started Professional Children's School. So I think that choice, although it was super expensive. Um, I think that choice was a smart choice back then because I didn't yeah. get a chance to experience what you're talking about. I did uh, on the small level. So I, before that, I was going to a Hebrew school. So my father was a Hasidic Jew. Very strange. Really? Weird story. My father was a Hasidic Jew who left the Hasidic community when he was about 16 um, and ran off and ended up becoming a hippie, meeting my mother, who's from, you know, Protestant family in Ohio. Uh, they got together at like some yoga class in the village and created me and my brother. Um, so my father ended up staying in the uh, Jewish life in the Jewish community, came back to it, not at a like a super Orthodox level, but kind of a modern Orthodox level. And he wanted to make sure that his children uh, stayed uh, learned hebrew like went to hebrew school then learn hebrew but you know learned how to read and write and stayed tried to you know keep our foot into the religion um so at the time when i booked it i was in a hebrew school hmm. and my dad wasn't a big fan of me being in movies at the time 
I'm not sure why. Because like I know now, like later on, he was like, "Oh, my son, the movie star," you know. But <laughs> um, but <laughs> I'm like now you say it because I because now you see now. But sounds like uh, a Jewish parent, yeah. Oh God, yeah. Uh, but you know, his heart was in the right place. He meant he, he was trying. You know, they were separated, so he was like, "I want my child to like be in you know in the religion." But um, yeah, at the time it was an interesting. I left to go do the movie, and I remember everybody being like, "Whoa." He's going to be in a movie, you know, he's going to be, I can't believe it's going to be in a movie. It was a big thing. So I remember being like, yeah, oh, wow, everybody's, <laughs> everybody was really cool with me, but it was a very small class in school. When I went to high school, I left professional drilling school. I went to like down the block, this place called Beacon High, and it was almost just like a public school. And there I saw, you know, a lot, luckily I was, you know, uh, 14, 15, I was like able to kind of process things a little better. And there's when I saw a lot of the stuff like people realized who I was and then heavyweights was like not too far behind that. And people yeah. were like, oh my God, the kid from heavyweights. Um, but yeah, it was, it was a strange uh, journey for sure. Being a child and going from that moment where they see you as just Aaron and then all of a sudden they see you as Aaron in the movies. Yeah, you get a lot of friends that you don't know if they're your friends uh, because of who you are or because yeah. of who you are, you know? A hundred percent. And that brings up, you know, the next movie I really want to talk to you about, which which is Heavyweights. And I first want to ask you, why wasn't Carp in the sequel to The Mighty Ducks and yet you get this starring role in Heavyweights? What happened there? Brill loves me. Brill was like, damn. Let <laughs> and then God was like, this guy's a winner. No, <laughs> Um, I, uh, you know, I, I think the main reason that if you look at all the people who weren't put in part two, and this is what I remember them saying, uh, the main reason was because we were too young. Hmm. You know, it was Danny Tamborelli, Jesse Smollett, you know, like I'm sure they're kicking themselves in the head because we, all of us, you know, did well later, but, um, yeah, we were all young and I think they wanted they wanted everybody to kind of, at a certain age, that amount of difference in age can show. And when yeah. you're when you're 11 years old, 12 years old, and the other person's 15 years old, there's a, that growth spurt shows, and it just doesn't look team like, I guess, you know. Yeah. And so, like, you know, they had to sacrifice. Uh, you know, it's a sucky business. That's one thing about you know, you know, I remember being heartbroken. You know, a lot of people don't say these kind of things. And I think it's something that, you know, a lot of people don't talk about. It's like, it's a heartbreaking, uh, rejection-filled business sometimes, especially, you know, is it good for a child to be a part of that as well, you know? Um, but Jordan Kerner, God bless that man, he made a personal phone call, called everybody that, you know, was not being brought back into part two and, and was like, I am so sorry, you know, this is just storytelling the way it has to be. You are still part of the Ducks family. Sent us, you know, Ducks uh, paraphernalia. I mean, my helmet with a dent in it, sent that to (laughs) me, you know? Um, And yeah, it was, you know, it was, it was heartbreaking, but I understood it. Even at the time, I remember there were tears, but they were also like, you know what? that's just, that's the way this business works. Like at the time I was already, you know, unfortunately as a kid, you go through that much rejection, even as a kid, you 
audition for a hundred things and you book maybe one. If you're mm-hmm. lucky, you book one. And so I, at that point, I was already regular to that rejection. So it, it became part of the business, not rejection, more of just like, you know, hey, par for the course. Uh, and then um, I auditioned for heavyweights and I auditioned for Josh in heavyweights. Really? Character. Um, and then somehow it worked. I mean, I, I pers- like my personality when I was that age was very Jerry. I was very shy and kind of subservient to people. I wasn't like, I wasn't Sean. You know, Sean was in person, still is like that. He was Josh, you know, I was not. So I think it just worked out better that way. And um, yeah, I, I'm not really sure what made them make that decision, but they happy they did. And and then Brill was going to put me in um, part three of the Ducks, wrote me in, um, you know, the whole thing happened. And then business gets involved with, you know, Disney has contracts that they have and they yeah. have to. And like, there's something called the two movie deal contract. I think it was at the time. I don't know if they still have that. Where if you're in a Disney film, and then you book the same another Disney film within a year, you you have to make close. They have to double up your salary, or they have to you have to be worth more because you're in Disney. And they, you know, I don't know if it was Buena Vista, whoever was like, we cannot afford to pay this kid <laughs> who is a small role in the movie that much money, you know. And so, yeah. So oh, ultimately, man. that didn't work out. Yeah. But honestly, I think it worked out with heavyweights, right? Because you got a starring role opposite, you know, Keenan Thompson and Sean Weiss and an amazing performance. I, you know, that movie, The Mighty Ducks too, but I think heavyweights even more so is just timeless. Like the, it's just hysterical. Ben Stiller's performance, you know, Brill was talking about how you weren't, uh, you weren't heavy enough. He wanted you to even gain more weight for the role. Yeah. Oh, don't worry. <laughs> they, they put out that craft service table. I, when I left there, I could, I, I was rolling myself off the set. <laughs> Like you would be like, I want like, what <laughs> kind of stuff do you want? Like we would, we were staying at a holiday inn. It was like the holiday inn elite. I forget what they called it. But it was one of, remember back in the day when holiday inns had these like the big holiday inns it <laughs> yeah. was in the middle and they had like a mall around it almost. And we stayed in one of those and there was just fast food all over the place. And we just Taco Bell and I love Taco Bell. I still you know, try not to eat like that, but I still am like, I'm that little fat kid inside. And <laughs> I got big after that. Yeah. I got, I got pretty, I got pretty big, but um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm glad he didn't think I was that, that heavy. I, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. He said he needed to uh, fan you up for the role. You know, was, yeah. shoot, was shooting heavyweights like going to summer camp to some extent, you know, I know it was actually filmed at real camps in North Carolina. Did you view that as like a summer camp experience or, or no? I, I did and I didn't. Well, I mean, I'm a city boy, right? So my summer camp experiences, because by the time I was 11, I was in movies. So I'm all of a sudden, this like movie star kid, and <laughs> I, I don't go to summer camp. Yeah. But I did go to some summer camp before then. And I'm such a city kid. I'm bad. I was bad with bugs. Now I've gotten myself finally at 40. I'm like, I can like <laughs> deal with a fly around, yeah. me, you know? But, um, I was, I hated bugs. I hated, I was just like, oh, there's like, what is all this trees and grass? It smells great. What is this? Yeah. I and need then, a shower and air conditioning. Yeah. yeah those are two right? things. <laughs> I need shower. Man, I love showering. You know, that's one thing. I'm like, I shower two times a day sometimes. <laughs> um, but I was a, I was uh, a bee I don't know what they call that, but I was really afraid of bees. 
super afraid of bees. As was and I. Like yep. inside, it was an inside joke. Uh, it got to a point because like we shot in Hendersonville, North Carolina, heavyweights. And that place was just like straight up Camp Pinnacle, straight up summer camp in like the wilderness. And we're making sets in like garages or sets <laughs> in like these big, I don't know what they made. They just put put out these sets that places they big basketball courts that were like look like hangers they would turn that into a set and that's where the bunks would be it's like wow. we didn't really film in the actual bunks we but like exterior scenes were filmed on campsite and i was just running off of camera all the time anytime a bee would come near me i would run out of the shot <laughs> and we were using film at the time so like you know film's yeah. expensive you know i remember judd one time going <laughs> It's some would a bee already sting him so he can see like <laughs> I'm like no I ended up getting stung by a bee in the set not even really? outside yeah in the studio it came through the air conditioner and I was like I can't <laughs> you know but they would put a little plastic bee on the camera so before they would film they would like push this bee and all the grips would write there's a bee on me there's a bee on me all around the camera. <laughs> And I remember being so embarrassed, but also kind of like, look, they're, they're, they're talking about me, so it can't yeah. be bad. Yeah. <laughs> what do you remember working opposite Ben Stiller? I can't, I, I imagine you just got a break constantly. Like, how do you not just burst out laughing when he's in the whole Tony Perkis routine? You know what's funny about Ben Stiller is he is not very funny in person. Really? He, well, he's super funny. I think he's hilarious, but he's not, he's, he doesn't act goofy and, you know, he's very, and especially he's a method. He's a method comedian. I don't know if people know that he's, you know, he'll be in that role. Yeah. You know, he, he doesn't want to talk to the kids too much. Not that he wasn't a jerk. He was a sweetheart. He is a sweetheart still, but he, he was really careful about staying in that character and doing it right. And, you know, not eating certain things, looking fit, getting tanned, lifting weights and taking <laughs> shots, you know, being like that guy. Yeah. And I was like, I admired it. I remember talking to him and I had a, I was a little bit of a film nerd. Like I really wanted to do filmmaking. I wanted to be a director. And so I would ask him about Reality Bites because I knew about him directing Reality Bites. And he was like 28 at the time. And I was like, well, you know, Judd Apatow was 28 when he made that. Like, you know, like I was in awe of people that were making it that young and yeah. I would have conversations with him about it. And he was, you know, just straightforward and all that. But, you know, when it came time to being on set, it was practically scary sometimes because he would just be that <laughs> he would be Tony Perkis. And yeah. I was just like, this is crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Come here, you devil log. You know, his lines in that movie. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> And he would just create these, like these, yeah, these one-liners. I, I think he made that up, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> Step off Jeez. the scale. <laughs> oh yeah, that's that's great. I just saw yeah. that. So I just posted something that I was doing some t-shirt thing. And I remember they posted that scene where he gets on a scale and I'm watching Sean Weiss's work in that. Oh. Just immaculate. So man. good. Immaculate so comic good. timing at that age. Incredible. 
Yeah. No, my, my favorite scene in that movie is that whole download scene with the, everyone's pulling out, you know, because you come in, you're like, well, I stuck in some uh, Oreos for the summer. Yeah. And, uh, you know, then they start breaking out everything, the salami, you know, it's that scene is just is, is amazing. Oh, oh my it's God. So fun. It was so fun to do. I, would, <laughs> I remember the set people like really like trying to build more hiding places and having fun building all these hiding places in the canisters. And like, it was just, yeah, it was fun. Yeah, it was a great it was a great experience. Are there any anecdotes or, or personal stories that you would take from that experience? Is there one that kind of comes to mind when you think back on that time? Hmm. Anecdotes. What do you mean? Like, what do you mean by anecdote? Like, it could be anything. It could be a moment that you had with another actor, you know, mm. something at the rap party, anything that you really take away from that experience. You know, that's something that's not very, very public, I would say. You know, what's funny about the rap party. So when I was doing, uh, the, when I was doing the Mighty Ducks, um, I showed up to the rap party um and it was at some ball i remember and so the way they did the rap party there it was like at some fancy place and i wore like an olive green suit with like a hand tied bow tie i was such a weird kid um and, <laughs> and i thought okay i'm dressing up you know like this is me dressing up people showed up with like rented tuxes like <laughs> like it was like a, a red carpet event and i was yeah. just like oh man i wanted to wear a tux i didn't wear a tux so then when they decided to do the rap party for uh, heavyweights, I didn't even ask, like, where is it going to be? What are we doing? I was just like, I met some girl. This is not me. This is not normally like a little chubby kid meeting some girl who's probably two years older than him and inviting her to the rap party. But I was like feeling myself at the time. <laughs> invited this girl that I met at the hotel to the, to the rap party. She was this cute girl who was two years older than me. I had this girl on my arm and I was like, I'm going to get a, I'm going to rent a tux. My mom was like, yeah, let's rent a tux. I get to this rap party. It's at some like dive bar where they're just playing karaoke and everybody's wearing like jeans and like t-shirts. And I like show up and I'm like, seriously, seriously, you know, you just got to own it at that point. Right? My arm, like, let's go guys. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so it was, it was pretty fun. It was fun. So I want to get into, you know, a very small, you know, guest star role that you had on, on the Suits pilot. I rewatched the Suits pilot the other day. Mm. Phenomenal pilot and phenomenal TV show. I know when you're doing yeah. these pilots as an actor, you never really know, you know, what they're going to turn into. But it must feel kind of proud or like, you know, just a you know, badge of honor that you were in that pilot. And then, and then the show like really blows up. Yeah. Um, yeah. I remember auditioning for that. I was living on the east side of New York at the time. Um, and it was an audition. Yeah. So that I auditioned for a, a bigger role. And then, uh, I was like, I went in for some reason, you go into the audition sometimes and you're like, man, I'm going to book this. Like you just knew. And I was like, I'm going to book this. And I went in and then I got the role of like the three line guy who comes in the beginning. Yeah. But something about that role, which I loved was the com the comedy behind it. Like I started really enjoying comedy at that time. I was, in the middle of doing Gossip Girl, I think, or yeah. did I start? I can't remember, but from that point on, I was like, I like comedy. Like I really loved digging into like these characters and doing goofy stuff. And so, yeah, that was a fun role to play. And I was trying so hard not to laugh while doing it sometimes, you know, and it's, you know, but it was, yeah, it was, it was fun. It's fun to see something like that. You know, um, the originals was something that I yeah. did. I didn't even know 
about the originals. It was a Vampire Diaries uh, a reboot or some, there was an addition to it. And apparently I found out Julie Pleck and somebody else wanted, wanted me to come in because of Gossip Girl. They wanted me to come in for a role, for this, this role in the beginning. And apparently I was like a shoo-in for it without even auditioning, but I came in to audition for it, booked it, had no idea what this was about. And they ended up already filming the pilot and they were in the process of filming episode two at the time, but they wanted to put that in the beginning huh. of the pilot that was already released. And so I had no idea. And so like those kind of things you don't realize until somebody says, Hey man, I just saw you in the originals. Like, I can't believe you did the originals. I was like, I don't need, I didn't even know <laughs> what I did. Yeah. I just showed up. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it's fun. Yeah. It's funny how things work out like that. I'm just, you know, I always love audition stories and I, I really give you a lot of credit as, you know, actors in general who have to show up in a room and you see whatever, 20 guys who look just like you auditioning for the same role. You could hear them oh, through the walls. Yeah. You know, people have these crazy things that they do before auditions. How do you approach an audition? Because I think going into it, thinking that you're going to book it or, you know, this is a win or lose type mentality, you're setting yourself up for failure in a sense, right? And I know some people, actors who go in and they're just like, you know what, this is just an opportunity to act good or bad, it's my opportunity to actually perform my craft. I guess, you so know that's what? Trick. Yeah. That's the trick. Um, I actually, something I'm also talking about in the documentary, I had a really big issue with auditions. There were many times, honestly, I might be in a different situation, and I hate doing this because there's really no regrets, but I might be in a different situation today if I didn't have that issue with auditions. I've had a lot of amazing opportunities. I've gotten in front of Martin Scorsese. Wow. I've green tested for major roles. I've, you know, uh, I've, I've almost booked, I, I can maybe say six or seven massive roles, which would have financially changed my life. But also, you know, I would be continuously, I would be in a different realm right now as an actor. Um, and, it's all because I had a severe phobia of auditioning, which is mm. the worst thing. Like, you you have no idea how many times I'm like, that's it, I'm done. I'm done. I can't even, I can't even, I would like, you know, sometimes I would go home to my ex-fiance and just cry to her. This poor girl would hear me daily torture myself. So it, it you know, a lot of people don't talk about that, but a lot of people, you know, are they have a really big problem with auditions that has gone away. Um, there's still a, you know, there's still a fear nowadays. There's no audition room nowadays. It's yeah. all, it's all self tapes. Um, which is a little bit of yes and no. I mean, I got past it before COVID happened. I started, you know, booking a lot more and, you know, Unfortunately, I got to the point where I was like, man, I really think things would be like popping for me right now because I was going into rooms just killing it. Um, what, and what I ended up doing was just kind of, you kind of just have to not give a shit. I'm sorry if I-, I Yeah, no, say whatever something. you want. You kind of just have to, I told, me and my mom used to say, so I learned something from Maggie Flanagan Studios. Is a, I took a lot of acting classes when I was a kid and it's a, it's a Meisner technique class. And she used to say something called embrace the fuck it. <laughs> you got to embrace the fuck it. That's the most important thing about acting. Cause like you could be the most talented human being in the world. You could all work it. You show up, have 
fear and you're not feeling comfortable and you're not feeling relaxed, you're not going, it's not going to show. That talent is not going to come out. It's just the fear is going to stifle everything. And, you know, I knew that for years and I never embraced the fuck it properly. And I think mm-hmm. maybe it was age, maybe just going through enough stuff in my life. I'm starting to embrace the fuck it. And it's honestly working wonders. I just don't care, you know, to the point that I used to. I, I want a book, but it's not end all be all for me. You know, I'm, I'm happy with my life. And I come into that audition just going, oh, this is going to be fun, you know? And it's really hard. It's easier said than done. And, you know, everybody has their own journey and how to, how to get there. But the point is to get there, to get to the embracing of the fuck it. Because if you don't, you, chances are you won't make it. Yeah. No, and you're right. It's easier said yeah. than done. You kind of have to have that uh, Rob Livingston from Office Space type of mentality where you really, yeah. just, where you really just don't yes. care, right? And then things come to you. you just don't give it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, it's funny. It's human nature. Honestly, you see somebody you know, to a point who doesn't give a shit, you kind of like, there. there's something that draws you towards a person yeah. like that. Because you you want to not give a shit. We all care so much about everything that when we see somebody that really doesn't really care that much, you know, in a positive way, just kind yeah. of goes, whatever, you know, things, shit happens and that's just life. I'm going to go on and be happy about this. When you see that, it's, 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 uh, it's addictive. It you know, really it's addictive. You want that, you want to be around that. And so I think that's the key for any actor, any performer, any anything in the world is to care enough, but not care too much where it, you have that desperation around you. Exactly. Uh, Aaron, I'm sure my listeners will be really curious as to what you're up to now. I, I know you have this documentary coming out. Where, where could they find you? Yeah. So you can find me on Instagram at uh, Aaron Schwartz 11. Uh, spelled with a TZ. Um, you can find me saying AaronSchwartz.net is my website. Uh, across the board, Aaron Schwartz 11, pretty much. You can catch me there, uh, Twitter, Facebook. Um, yeah. And w- I, what I'm up to, I, there's a movie Adverse that's out right now that I'm in. Small little role, but it's a fun role with Jesse John Garcia as my sidekick. Uh, we play detectives. Um, I'm in the process of filming uh, my documentary. Um, which I'm hoping with Chris Knote, who's uh, a filmmaker and he's my business partner with Brand New Pictures, and we're rocking it. And I, I think I think it's going to be a, a pretty big uh, documentary. I'm excited. Um, I'm still writing when I have time, when I don't, when I'm not taking care of a, of a, a hairy child. Um, yeah, and I'm writing a, a pilot right now that I'm hoping it's based on my father's life, which is going to wow. be interesting. Excessitic Jew. Um, Sounds like and, unorthodox. I don't know if you caught that series on uh, yes. Netflix. Well, unorthodox is 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 a book that I remember reading a while back, and it's uh, you know the orthodox community probably hates it, uh, you yeah. know, but there's a lot of truth to that, and uh, yeah, it's it's got a twist to it though. It's a little different. It's a little different, um, and uh, yeah, and that's that's it. An auditioning. I just got it. I just, this is the world that we live in right now. I just got an audition. I think it was for NCIS last minute. Uh, literally when I was about to sign on, I see an audition for tomorrow at 3 PM. I'm like, what am I? I got my dog. I got, you know, man, like these auditions, they, it's, it's hard, but you know, it's the business, you know, I got to find a reader somehow and put it on tape. 
before 3 p.m. tomorrow. So wow. it's an interesting, busy world in a different way. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Uh, Aaron, I can't thank you enough for your time. We end each episode with five rapid fire questions. Ooh. Are you ready? I don't know. Let's, let's get ready. Let's do it. <laughs> uh, what are you currently binge watching? Oh, uh, there's a show with, what's his oh, man? Um, Alan, Alan Tooks. He's a, he's a, it's a sci-fi show. I don't usually watch sci-fi sci-fi show about an alien um, who, I forgot the name, but it Alan Tudyk from iRobot. I uh, he's a, he's an alien that goes, okay. That's, that's when I'm binge watching Joe Rogan. I love watching Joe Rogan's podcast. It's very fun to watch. Uh, favorite sports movie of all time. Mighty Ducks. Mighty Ducks has to be. Uh, oh, yeah. Slapshot is pretty awesome too. All hockey stuff. Do you attribute, you know, you have a very famous kind of glow up from when you were a kid, you know, there's articles written about it. I don't mean to put you on the spot here, but do you credit yeah. the Tony Perkis method or, or anything else? Tony Perkis method. Yes. Uh, <laughs> everything with a glass of skim milk is my, <laughs> is my uh, key. Um, I attribute uh, wanting to get laid. I don't know. Uh, you know, I think that might've been part of my, <laughs> I was like, I don't think girls are liking this. Maybe I should lose it. Um, I love running. Running has been my therapy. So that's one of my major, major uh, uh, reasons I, I lost a lot of weight. I just loved running. Uh, if Disney Plus approached you about a potential heavyweight sequel where maybe Jerry now, you know, after the serious glow up that you've had is maybe he's a counselor, maybe he's running camp MVP at this point and he's competing oh, yeah. against Pat, you know, would you sign on to, you know, come and act? Oh, yeah. Are you kidding me? Heavyweights has been paying my bills and, and <laughs> has me on podcasts all the time. Whatever they want. Judd, Steve, all y'all. You, you put me in whatever you want. Yeah, I'm signing on. Well, not um, to an extent, you know, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, last one. And, and this is something I never do on the podcast, but I, I have to. And this is a re personal request of mine, which is how do I get one of those Wu-Tang heavyweights t-shirts? Because oh. I, I need one. I really do. You? You didn't? Did you not, did you not go up there and like <laughs> and, and put the pay button? No. Uh, <laughs> I'll send you one, man. You got it. You got it. it was size size large. Give me a large like and uh, yeah, yeah. That's all. That's all I ask. I'm happy to pay for it. Happy to pay for no, it. No, no, no. I got you. No problem. <laughs> yeah, Thank yeah. you so much, Aaron. I really do appreciate you coming on the Relaunchables podcast. Yeah. Thanks for having me. For listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B L E A V on YouTube. You know, when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.